the incomparable. Number 554, February 2021. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. This episode's about a TV show that recently completed its fifth season, and we're going to talk about it. It's The Expanse on Amazon Prime Video, and I am joined by some wonderful people who are going to talk about this season of The Expanse with me. Among the incomparable regulars who are here, Aline Sims. Hello. Hello. I don't agree with a lot of what Jeff Bezos does, but I'm really glad he saved the show. Yeah, I'm with you there. Chip Sutterth is also here. Hi, Chip. I'm legitimately thrilled to be here. <laughs> and uh, yes, we should say, Chip, one of the hosts of A Legitimate Salvage here at The Incomparable, a podcast where you can listen to people talk about every episode of The Expanse. Uh, Dan Morton's also here. Hi, Dan. Can a suborbital shuttle go to the moon? Hmm. It is a good mm. question. I think, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, do they get like picked up along the way? The highway patrol pulls them over? I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. It's a brain teaser. And two uh, newcomers to the Incomparable podcast proper, one of Chip's co-hosts on a legitimate salvage, Jen Burt, is here. Hello. Hello. I feel like I'm being let off of like one of the planets into the larger expanse universe. It's very exciting. <laughs> you rode on your little uh, little backyard shuttle, and mm -hmm. uh, now you're here. Backyard <laughs> rocket. Nice to have that. That's literally my one clear memory of the book, by the way, is, yeah, mm -hmm. there's this mansion that's got a rocket in the backyard. <laughs> mm -hmm. What? I love it. Uh, and also, uh, a newcomer to this particular podcast, but not to the greater network, it's Will Wagner. Hi, Will Wagner. Hi, Jason. I'm out of context here. <laughs> okay, so The Expanse, season five. That's why we're all here, by the way, just a, a reminder. Um, based on the book Nemesis Games, now I know that Chip and Jen haven't read The Expanse book series. Everybody else has, is that right? Yes. All right. We're not going to spoil what happens in the books, um, but it is interesting to compare. I will say this book, I think, is the book that I was convinced would be the hardest for them to turn into a TV show. Because Nemesis Games is the book where our friends and the family of the Rosinante go their separate ways. They don't break up, but they all have to go deal with some stuff, some personal business, and then they get back together at the end. And I thought, how are they going to do that? Can they? Are they just going to like, kind of mess around with the, the story of the book and not do that? And the answer is no. This is a season with a whole bunch of different storylines and our characters are separated for most of that. And I uh, was worried that it would not come off well. And strangely enough, I think it actually worked really well to have all of our storylines anchored by characters we know. But I would like to go around and ask all of you how you felt about that, because I think it's the fundamental weird thing about this season is it's the season where nobody is together. So what did you think about that? Uh, let's start with Aline. I love it. Um, this is actually not spoiling the book, but this is my favorite, I think, of, of the books. Hmm. Um, because people who listen to the incomparable, especially the book club episodes know, I love character stuff and this is chock full of character stuff. It's about, um, you know, we learn about Amos, um, and his backstory. We get, um, some good like development between Alex and Bobby, which I think is nice. Like, I just, I like it because it's not about, 
the crew of the Rosinante as a family unit. It's about them as people. And I really, really enjoy it. And I, um, I'm sure I'll talk about it as we go through this episode. I really, really love the stuff that's happening on earth. Um, love everything with Amos, especially. So I, I, I was very excited for this season and it really didn't disappoint me at all. All right. Uh, who else? Chip? Uh, pretty much everything that Aline said. Uh, Jen and I and our co-hosts, uh, Katie and Warren, had a spirited conversation about where we ranked this season compared to the previous ones. And I think the consensus was that we preferred season three above all else, but that this was really up there. Uh, I think season four also has a lot of you know, separation, you know, you've got Amos and Holden down on the rock. You've got, uh, for the most part, Naomi and Alex on the Rossi. Right. And Bobby just off doing crimes in uh, on Mars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you've, you've got some of the separation happening and the multiple storylines happening in season four as well. But I think this one does it so much better. Um, there's more momentum to the stories, I think, and there are enough intersections between the various stories. I mean, Bobby was just doing Bobby things, um, in season four, right? This time around, you know, there's a big honk and rock coming at the earth and everything changes. And all of these individual little stories, they're still connected. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The characters are apart. But they are still being very true to themselves, and they're having meaningful encounters with other people. And then when it all comes back together, suddenly you realize that there's, uh, for the most part, a family reunion that's going on, and we'll be going on to something in the next season. Dan, what do you think? I agree that it's it's tough because you know when I I was during some of this, I went back. My wife had started rewatching season one, and I started watching a bit of it as well. And I thought about how much season one channels the whole uh, like D and D party getting started thing, <laughs> and it's tough because this feels like this is like side adventures, right? This is like the DM having like one on one adventures with each of the players. Um, but I agree with Aline that it does a lot to flesh out our characters, and I think it also it should be noted. I mean, like plot wise, this is a big turning point. It feels like right, like uh, big stuff happens, right? Stuff that you can't take back, and I think that is true throughout a lot. Of this, but in in some ways it feels more personal in season five because of the impact on Earth specifically. And given the plot developments there, I think that's one of the things I like the most about it. And I agree with Aline that the the stuff that happens on Earth is particularly memorable because of that. Because we can all, I think, much more easily sort of picture the impact right on, you know, season four, you're off on uh, an alien planet. It's like, oh, it's weird and strange. And there's big, weird machines going off. And now it's like, nope, a rock hit. You know, a bunch of rocks hit the earth and killed a lot of people. And you're like, wow, now it's like post-apocalyptic. Um, so I think that it goes a long way towards really drawing things together. I think it's tough to, you know, to you want your characters, your, your friends, your family to be all together again and to be happy and all of that. And I think that does create some fundamental tension within this season. But I do think for the most part, it works out pretty well. And I think it also goes a long way to bringing some of our peripheral characters into more primacy because of the fact that they're attached to these main characters, right? So characters like Clarissa or even Avasarala 
who are then sort of more tied in with what's going on everywhere else, um, I think that's that makes a lot of it tick along a lot better. And you feel the tension of the plot trying to draw these characters together, even though they're physically distant, by having these huge events that are shaking the fundamental, you know, balance of power in the solar system. So I, like you, Jason, I think I was not particularly sure of how they were going to pull it off, but I actually feel like it, it went pretty well and, and it exceeded my expectations. Newcomer time. Jen, what do you think about the, the separation of the characters and how it went this season? Yeah, I actually think it worked really well, especially that was my criticism of season four. I think because it was so removed from everything we'd known for a lot of it being through the ring gate, it didn't always land. The Belger politics of season four didn't always land. And, and season five, I just felt there was a momentum that existed that it always felt like even when we're, you know, we would sometimes be away from a character or a plot line for an episode or two, but it always felt like the big picture of the season was maybe just a little bit off screen and we were going to come back to it. And I think there were, the other thing was we were really getting so many seasons of these characters and finally really seeing that come to fruition with Naomi's plotline about her past, with Amos's plotline about his past. Yeah. And then it, the payoff at the end of finally seeing some of them come back together just felt so sweet. Will, how about you? You know, I, um, I went to a book signing uh, once and I got my copy of Nemesis Game signed by the author's and uh, I got a laugh out of them by saying that this was the book that made me yell, don't split the party at the page <laughs> the most out of all of them. And I, I think like, yeah, I had I had the same kind of concern that like, I don't know how they're going to do this, but I, I agree. They pulled it off really well and they they make you feel that you want the all the people to get back together. And that's the main sort of focus of everything is getting everyone back together, despite the fact that Naomi in the second half of the season is doing everything she can to keep them away from her because hmm. it puts them in danger. It's a great source of, of tension in the, the plot. And, and I do like that, that this whole season is all about character stories and about learning about the backstory of all the little things about particularly Amos and Naomi that, that were seeded as little hints going all the way back to the beginning of the show. Um, if you look, if you go back to season one and you watch when they're being interrogated by the Martians on the Donager, they have a little file on Naomi mm -hmm. and it lists her known associates. And the names in there are Marco and Naros and Sin and Carol and all the people that you meet now in this season. And, and you see who those, who those people are. And that, that was, they were thinking about that four seasons ago. And now we're seeing that come to fruition. I really like that kind of stuff. It's really helpful to have a bunch of books in the can, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I definitely noticed that the show did a better job of leading up to the fact that Naomi has a child. Yeah. Yes. Then yes, the yes, books absolutely. did. The books sort of are like, I don't think they knew. There was point. a child. No, yeah, they did. Exactly. They absolutely like, didn't. But in the show yeah. they do. And so it, it is much more naturally um, uh, assembled. And, Seated, and yeah. isn't it nice to have that, right? It really is nice to have, have that material that you can use from the very beginning instead of having it sort of making it up as you go, because it feels so much more, um, connected. Now, uh, I, I figure we would just kind of walk through the different sections of the, of the story, since there are these very clearly defined, you know, some more than others, but clearly defined sections of the story. Um, and ask everybody what they thought about that and the strengths and the weaknesses of them. I want to start with um, Avasarala 
and really sort of the idea of Earth getting struck by all of these rocks from the solar system that have been coated in stealth Martian stealth paint by Marco Inaros, uh, all part of the um, what we saw at the end of last season with what Bobby was investigating on Mars about the, the kind of taking of Martian material. Um, and then the result is an attack on the Earth um, and several rocks hit the Earth. Avasarala, of course, is on the moon. Um, her husband was back on Earth. They were they were fighting or, or, you know, they were separated, at least in certain ways, um, if not others. And then this all uh, goes down. And uh, our our friend, uh, who is the the new <laughs> the new uh, president of, of the United Nations, who um, those of us who read the books knew was uh, going to die. She she dies. Uh, <laughs> and Avasarala is sort of navigating things in the aftermath of that and ultimately ends the season back in charge because she's the most competent person in the solar system. And uh, but we get a bunch of moon stuff and, and the whole idea of like how Earth is going to react and are they going to uh, bond? Um, you know, belter positions in kind because of what Marco did to them, and uh, and and I'll, let's take that as a chunk. I'll leave Amos's adventures on planet Earth groundside for a little bit later. But but if people want to talk about uh, Avasarala and and her storyline and, uh, and and view of Earth from the Moon, I was struck by um, and I know I have talked about this in past episodes that we've done about the the TV show, but. I was struck by how they use her costume and makeup to represent power and competency and even armor. Like there's the scene Mm. where, um, you know, the, the asteroids are hitting earth and she's like, um, the new, like they're trying to figure out who's in charge and the new guy comes in and is like, I want you to be on my cabinet. And she's like, okay, sure. And he leaves the room and there's this moment where she, she like sits there and she's composing herself. One of the only very few times we ever see her not fully in command of like her physicality. And she's sitting there and she straightens up and she puts her necklace on and her earrings on. And it's like she is she is putting on her power armor right now. And that is something that I think they've done such an amazing job with in the show that I was not expecting. But it was like literally I was like, we are watching her put her armor on. And it was for me just like a really powerful moment. And I know like it's kind of cliche to talk about um a woman in her clothes and her makeup representing like how she presents to the world but she is the only character really in this whole series who does that everybody else is in like uniform or coveralls or yeah (laughs) jumpsuits or whatever and i think that stark contrast is so good and i think that this season especially seeing how she wears that as um as a part of the persona, like no matter what's happening internally, this is this is how she presents to the world and kind of how she pumps herself up for it. I thought that was really cool and I thought it was pretty powerful too. I really tend to enjoy the politic angle of the whole series. Uh, it's one of the things that I really is it's one of my favorite plot lines to sort of play out. And and that is also a place where 
obviously, once Avicerala was introduced in the book series, which wasn't until the second book, of course, the series TV show backfilled her into season one, which was a great idea. Mm -hmm. Yes. Having her perspective into this and the fact that we all kind of know her as a no-nonsense, hard-hitting politician, but she's also proven to be the person who not only has a great grasp of the politics, but also has, you know, fundamental decency, which is like, you know, we would not necessarily expect the person who is this, um, you know, aggressive in a lot of her personal and political dealings to be the one to also be like, whoa, 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 we should dial back on how hard we are hitting back at this. Especially given how we saw her in her very first episode when she's torturing a belter on earth right right and and given that she is also dealing with the fact that her husband is is basically presumed dead um from this attack right i mean like one could easily understand wanting revenge for that kind of loss but she is a character who puts uh, the the ethos and the the like good of the many literally above the good of the few and I think that that is interesting and fun to watch her wrangling, especially since, you know, I think one of my my TV cheat uh, moves when I'm watching a show is like if somebody is shown in a particular status or state at the beginning of an episode or often a season, you can assume that that state is going to change probably to the opposite. So the fact that she starts out of power kind of tips the hat that like this is going to be her story about getting back into the position mm-hmm. where she is making a difference. Uh, and I, I absolutely love her relationship with uh, it's is it Delgado is that the admiral mm. Delgado um, yeah yeah who I just I I adore the two of them together because of the fact that they have kind of their ups and downs they don't agree on everything um, and yet they are forced to work together at a lot of points throughout this and I I think I think it's a lot of fun to watch the sort of backroom deals being made I I always enjoy that segment of it yeah I think it's seeing you know you're talking about seeing her kind of uh, vulnerability and really for some of the first times this season and you have that scene in the situation room where you know they're telling her that she's being personal and it's just like I love that because it feels very true to life, but it's also she is being so strategic and you kind of when I was watching, I was like, yeah, I know she's she's going to come out on top here. Like she knows that she's what she's doing is. Yeah, it is personal, but it, it's smart politically or it's what she thinks is smart politically. And I think when you talk about Delgado, I don't think she likes him that much, but <laughs> she knows it's smart to have someone like that in the room well he does her bidding to a certain degree until there's that final moment where he's like i i i can't do this anymore it's bad for my mm-hmm. career now right like and, and i thought that was really <laughs> realistic too that like they when they were aligned they worked together and it got to the point where he needed to not be aligned with her anymore it just felt very real world politics to me yep mm-hmm. yeah he's kind of the new admiral souther in that respect um he's the one that she it clearly doesn't like her very much and she doesn't necessarily like him very much, but they know that they kind of need each other and they have a certain working relationship because they each know what the other one's about and what they're trying to do. And they can work together to some extent, but yeah, it only goes so far. I also think it's nice that this season we get to see her do the right thing for the right reason instead of like really morally questionable throwing friends under the bus things for the right Mm -hmm. reason. Um, It was a little bit refreshing to see that, especially after last season when she's just like 
horrible. Like she's just mean to everybody. Like <laughs> her husband says, "I can't, I can't be do do this right. Like I yeah. can't even." Mm-hmm. Right. And they're they're on bad terms even at the beginning of this, you know, because the the her daughter is there, and it's kind of intimated that they're on strained turns, and that yeah. that's even worse, right? Then when she she loses him is. You know, oh man, the last thing, you know, our last days together were not spent in peaceful harmony. So is that a function of her moral growth since then or a function of the fact that for the most part this season, she spends a lot of time out of power and there aren't that many human levers to to flip? I think that you can see that she's doing the right thing for the right reason in how it, if she just were trying to get back into power then she could have easily gotten back into her old position not as secretary general but as the kind of power behind the throne that she was at the beginning of this series which is what she really wanted um it by going along with what the new guy said and and just you know he would have listened to whatever she said if if he she was telling him to be aggressive and she walked away from that when she had the chance. Yeah, she is. I, I mean, I I would argue that she always, the thing that's about Avasarala that I always liked is she's always going to do the right thing, what she thinks is the right thing for, for Earth, regardless of the consequences. And so sometimes what she does is really bad, or at least has very difficult consequences, but she's doing it what, for what she thinks is the, the greater good. In this season, she is doing, you know, she's still doing that, but it, it she's in a position where like has her argument about not um destroying belter stations that are full of innocent people is not that's evil to kill innocent people it's, that's impractical mm-hmm. it's yeah. bad bad practice. it, it will worse. be bad for yeah. us in politically and it it will make us weaker if we do this and i know it'll feel good but it will actually be worse for all of us it's 10 times as many partisans yeah yeah and she's yeah. not she's not uh, you know, I love that about her, that she is willing to be as steely eyed as possible, but always for what she thinks is the right thing to do for Earth. It just so happens this season, um, it does allow her to make the argument that, no, we shouldn't bomb those civilians because it's only going to make things worse. And our, our our play here needs to be to separate the Belters from Marco and Aros as much as we can. If we unite them, then we're really in trouble. Yeah, it's a it's a thing where it's it's both it's both moral and practical, right? Like and and yes, that, happy that, those are not always aligned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're not always aligned, and I think there is an element of the moral in the background for her there. I mean, she does have specifically a comment at one point about all the you know people who are on those stations, and she manages yeah. to sway you know uh, even not perhaps even intentionally the other members of the cabinet into resigning right like by example Mm -hmm. and not a thing that just anybody could do but everyone i think there's an element of like wow even even avasarala thinks this is a bad idea (laughs) maybe we should reconsider and she i mean you know don't you think she looks tired uh Mm -hmm, she topples mm -hmm. the government after this disaster she topples the government through her disapproval essentially and that's quite a quite a move Quite a moment. But also she's got nothing. I mean, she's like, I'm not going to be here anymore. Like if she doesn't topple the government, it doesn't really matter because she's not going to be a party to what they what they're going to do. But she topples the government through her force of will there. And and she's like, oh, are we going to have an election? And they're like, no, we're just going to put you in charge now. 
So like, yeah, I, I kind of right. liked how refreshing that was. It's like, <laughs> no, this is an emergency. You're just, we need you. Please, you're the only person here who knows what they're doing. Help. It's tough too because we don't we. <laughs> In the context in which we were all watching that at the time, uh-huh. yeah. it's like, yeah, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it just? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you sure declare martial law and put somebody in charge. Mm-hmm. So that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's descend now to the uh, battered planet of uh, of the Earth, where they get to do a lot of location shooting for once because they're in uh, on on our planet for once. <laughs> um, and this is the section with Amos. So now Amos. Goes back to Baltimore. Um, there's an episode called Churn. Definitely incorporates a bunch of stuff from the novella that's related to the books, but is not one of the novels. It's it's a, one of the side novellas called The Churn that tells you a little bit about what the deal is with Amos's backstory. Um, and he's he's there. We learn his real name. Uh, it's Timmy. And uh, and a woman who uh, who he had sort of raised him and he had a fraud history with uh, she's died and uh, and he goes to her place and there's a guy there and, and he ends up going to his fellow criminal from the past who's now sort of running the area uh, to ask that the guy be allowed to stay in her her place. And then, of course, Amos then goes to the prison and sees peaches and the rocks hit and there's a prison break episode where they're like trying to get out of the, the crumbling prison with a bunch of guards and prisoners. And, uh, and then, and then Amos then goes on, it's a wild ride, right? Then he goes through the snow and the forest and ends up uh, convincing his buddy in Baltimore for them to go up to uh, the Northeast where there are, there are like houses that have, have rockets that they could probably just get to space on a rich person's rocket. There's a lot that goes on with the, the various travels of Amos. Does he go to Jeff Bezos's house? Is that his <laughs> private <Yeah>. rocket? <laughs> Probably, more or less. He's got a better one than that, but yeah. Mm. So my favorite scene in everything, of the books and the TV show so far, I got to see because, um, and I was really hoping we get to see this, and it's before Amos goes to Baltimore. He's on Luna and Avastarala <laughs> calls him in. Oh yeah, and it's and and they're like in the office together. And I was so hoping that we would get to see the scene, and we did, and it was delightful because <laughs> he doesn't care, and neither does she. <laughs> and they just, I just love watching them interact. It's just, it was just so much fun for me. I could watch a whole show about the two of them yes yes, yes please yeah, spin off true. timmy and chrissy <laughs> and peaches and, and peaches i don't too. know if i would include peaches <laughs> yeah uh, a bit of a poochie reference there sometimes i think <laughs> it's kind of the slow apocalypse you know it's 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 a gentler version of cormac mccarthy's the road or something i don't know but earth politics and society are just sort of crumbling it's not been a world-ending apocalypse but confidence is shattered geographical areas are ruined and it's interesting seeing amos and clarissa sort of make their way uh, across in, in the aftermath and seeing just what even a relatively you know these are big catastrophes but it didn't take that much for order to just sort of start to fall apart and bodies under tarps and rent-a-cops going rogue and things like that. We were waiting um, over on the Legitimate Salvage podcast side, we were waiting for about four or five seasons to get to a point where we felt like we 
got to know Earth really well, and we finally did. And Amos was a really good tour guide for that. Um, I also liked we we read the churn uh, for the member special. Um, other than that, we're all blessedly ignorant of the books. Um, and I thought that the Baltimore backstory was. I really wonder how all of that hit for people who were completely unaware of uh, the backstory. You know, a lot of Amos's slash Timmy's backstory is alluded to, but not spelled out. So book readers are really one up on everybody else. Um, just, just how talented Eric is at hacking and whether Eric could create uh, new identities and things like that. Um, so I got a lot out of this part of the story, having had the benefit of having read at least some of the books. And I wonder if uh, the TV only folks um, could say the same thing. The interactions between Amos and Clarissa are some of my favorite parts of the show. And I really like the two of them kind of teaching each other things about morality and about how life works and, and everything, uh, which is something we saw a little bit of with Amos and uh, Pastor Anna in season three as well, um, which was just the two of them coming from very different worlds and and both having things that they can teach the other one. I really like that aspect of it. Also, the, the very last scene of this kind of arc, which is Amos uh, convincing Holden in a very oblique way to let Clarissa come on the ship with them might be my, one of my <laughs> so favorite good. moments in the entire series. Yeah, I, I Just the look on Holden's face is perfect. I yeah, I watching that scene with my wife. I figured out like a second before it happened because I've read all the books and she hasn't. I knew what was coming, <laughs> and I just started cackling as Amos starts laying out for what him is like a like a watertight logical argument. Um, yeah. yeah, no, it it's, it's great. Sense. It makes perfect sense. I really enjoy Amos is is long been one of my favorite characters um, and seeing him kind of, you know, out of his both out of his new element, but like falling back into his old element is an interesting experience. And I think you you is it in this one where he he mentions at one point like he's been away from the crew for too long. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, I, I think that's that's that. one of my favorite bits, which is. Him, especially when you go back and rewatch the early seasons and you see how much he he leans on Naomi. And then once Naomi sort of betrays them and he stops trusting her, how much he transfers that to Holden in terms of like he needs a North Star in order to know what he's supposed to do. And I think watching external. Exactly. So watching him navigate that. Uh, especially when putting in conjunction with Clarissa, who also clearly has flexible morals, I guess would be the best way to put that. I don't think she is amoral, um, no. but I think she she is she has different priorities, uh, or at least has in the past, and and you know she evolves a lot. I think as a character throughout this as well. Um, so watching them together, they are a great team. Uh, and they're a great pairing just to to play off of each other because they are simpatico, but also very different in the way that they approach things. I found myself wanting to like Clarissa more than I did. Like there are scenes that I think really work. I think seeing them in the cabin after she's murdered that guy who the survivalist in the cabin mm. and her really trying to figure out like, well, this 
these things are wrong. And he's kind of like, oh, I, I'm trying to mentor you and how to be a better person, but I really need someone else to help me in this. Uh, those kind of things work. I didn't always understand kind of Clarissa's transition from I want to murder Holden to who she became while she was in prison. I think probably part of it is realizing that her father kind of used her, but I don't know that the story always showed that. So I think sometimes it, I really enjoy, I like their dynamic, but I often wonder about her character. Her motivations didn't always make sense to me. Is she more spelled out in the books? I would say I, I think the show suffers a little bit from the story of the third book having been compressed into half of a season at the end of season three. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that and and seeing in the book more of it from her point of view mm-hmm. um, is is more illuminating. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. The thing is that Clarissa had a goal, right? James Holden ruined her life, right? And she was selfish enough that she thought revenge was a good thing. You know, like he's ruining everything. I'm going to take him out. Whereas Amos is like a sociopath. His objective is survival. And that that's it, right? Like he 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 doesn't have the capacity to see things from a moral or immoral perspective for whatever reason, whether that's because of his very traumatic childhood or just how he is or whatever, it doesn't matter. But I think that's the difference between the two of them is Clarissa has the ability to empathize and think back on past actions in a way that Amos doesn't. He is just like, did this result in Mm -hmm. my survival or the survival of someone I care about? Yes. Okay, we're good. Where she can be like, you know, but yeah, maybe, maybe we survived, but maybe that wasn't the way to go about it. Peaches is not a sociopath, but she's a monster. She's sort of an engineered monster and she knows it and she feels some guilt about it, but also is put in a survival context where she feels like she needs to do what she needs to do to survive. I think when we see her in the prison, she's very, her attitude is very much like, well, you know, I, I am a monster. I do deserve to be locked up this way. And, and, Amos, I mean, Dan said one of his favorite characters. Amos is my favorite character on the show. I I, I love that he is a sociopath, but he knows it, and he yeah. and his gesture toward being good is that he aligns with people who he feel feels will steer him right. Right, like that's yeah. always been the that's the I've been away from you guys too long. You know, whatever Naomi says is something I should do, and that's what I loved about this segment of the show this season and how much I lived in the books too is his journey and seeing how he was created and who his old associates are that survivalist post-apocalyptic thing where they go to the, the, you know, they're, they're kind of desperate and they go to that guy's cabin and he basically prompts what ends up getting that guy killed because he's, he's taken a chance that they're going to be able to, um, survive because otherwise they're not she's not going to make it and he's going to sacrifice he's going to take a risk so that he can keep peaches alive and then you know and then we get the big i'd say set piece where they're in the mansion and they got the guys who are trying who are like the security guards who have decided that they're gonna take over the the rocket and there's the shootout and all of that i like 
I don't know. I just, I love, I love all of that. I love seeing that Amos is, you know, obviously willing to do whatever is necessary, which really works in a walking dead kind of apocalypse situation, (laughs) but that he's also um, trying to do the right thing. He's just got different standards than everyone else. Literally. I think what works that much, I mean, that's what works about that character and makes him interesting, right? If he did not have that, he would be the murder hobo so many of us know from our D&D campaigns, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> Walk into a room, murder the nearest person. Mm-hmm. Not really going to think about it. But the fact that he knows that he needs that external conscience as a guide is what elevates that character into being truly interesting because he he is aware of exactly what he lacks. Yeah. He knows a weapon and he wants um, to be pointed in, in the right direction is kind of what it is, right? Like he doesn't want to, he wants that guidance. He wants to find that center, but he's also very willing to do whatever needs to be done. And I don't know, I, I and to pair him with Peaches, I think is fascinating because it is the compare and contrast these two monster <laughs> murder machines. And I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that too. So I love that part. And as I said earlier, the the fact that like <laughs> that, that just what a brilliant science fictional moment that is like, oh sure, rich people in this era have like, rockets in their backyard why not like mm. like like having a They're boat rich. and and they gotta they gotta figure it out and there's a little bit of like the tech stuff too which is very exciting ah i love that stuff the directorial thrillingness of the running gun battle yes that's exactly what i was gonna say yeah it was so good yeah that's all i love good. i love things like that i love long shots with a lot of stuff happening in them and I watched that episode again this morning and I timed it and it's two minutes and 50 seconds without a cut. And that is just amazing to me. And I love watching that every minute of it. I just, I really enjoy their interaction with the house staff too, especially when they first yeah. show up. They're like, well, <laughs> yes. here's dinner, right? <laughs> it's like, okay, that's, I, I mean, I guess there's no one else there. You might as well eat it. And he takes them with them, right? Like, yeah. They they do they, they I like that too. It's like, well no, no, we're going to take them too. That's what we're going to do. We're going to take everybody. Except those guys out there cuz they're bad. We're yeah, not gonna they take got those guns. Guys. They're shooting us. Don't take them. <laughs> yeah. Don't take those guys. Let's go to Mars and and places elsewhere with uh Alex and Bobby. The this is a continuation really of the plot line from last season about what is going on on Mars. Alex meets Admiral Sovater and his assistant and they go out on a date but you know and then they and then there's like they're going to be captured and there's fights and bobby is there to to save alex from himself and also the people who are going to kill him and uh you know so we learn that that mars is really kind of messed up that that this is clearer in the books than i feel like it is in the show but the idea here is that mars the, the premise is that mars is a terrible place to live and now that the ring gate is open, who would live there? And so Martian mm-hmm. society is really kind of falling apart and the yeah. the military is selling off stuff so that to the belt so that they can get out, which we it, it ends up culminating in what we see at the end of the season. Um and then um in the end, Alex and Bobby sort of go on a on a little bit of a journey to follow the the Martian ships and they're in the Razorback and and uh, they end up saving Naomi. But uh, thoughts about the Alex and Bobby section of the show? I just want to say two things really quick. One, uh, I was so delighted to see Tim Decay pop up as the Admiral on Mars, so much so that I went and I was like, oh, man, I loved him on White Collar. And then I went and binged that entire show basically before <laughs> he showed up again, which was pretty funny. 
<laughs> um, but I just always a delight playing against type. I feel like is a is an evil character there. But yeah, um, I wanted to add on to that. The the I love the society of that of of people abandoning Mars. And there's a great shot um, where Alex is standing in one of the tunnels, and he looks around, and you see all the stores are like vacant. And there's all this stuff about trying to get people to stay, but everybody's disappearing. And it's kind of subtle, I think, in the background at times. Um, but I love how much it permeates the entire existence there and, and really jeopardizes, like, what is going on? Like, why are all these people here still? Like, there's a brand new world out there where you can live. and You don't have to live in a dome and all that. But it's kind of at war with this idea of we've worked so hard to make this planet livable. Um, like we feel like we shouldn't abandon it, and yet we have to. So I, I, I think they really did a nice job of of handling that storyline. I think the dynamic that works well too is that Bobby has already come to the realization that Mars is in decline, or, and she just is kind of doesn't have a lot of patience with Alex. She's just like you need to realize that this is where this is at yes they're stealing weapons i figured this out last season (laughs) yeah she's already been through it and yeah it's a good juxtaposition of her disillusionment with him unwilling to accept that this is how bad things are because he has been away for so long it reminds me a little of um Worf in Star Trek Next Generation (laughs) and how he has this idea of what the Klingons are like and it turns out that that's not really what a lot of them are like and that things are falling apart and him coming to grips with that felt very similar. The the Klingons also love cowboy bars, by the way. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Saddles in every stool. Mm -hmm. When I realized that was the chain of cowboy bars, I was (laughs) like, oh, wow. So good. (laughs) I love the weird obsession of the Martians with like the the cowboy culture. And Bobby's disdain for it yep. is, is beautiful at every yeah. moment. It's like he took him. It's like he took her to a Chili's or something. <laughs> and Alex, although a good pilot, is really bad at other like lots of them. Alex PI is not going to be a thing, right? Like <laughs> he is bad at it, so bad at it, and it, it happens. Like he has his his drinks with the the aide to Sovater where he seems pretty much like a sucker and Bobby like Bo- Bobby knows what's up and Alex you know plus we see Alex go back to his the you know his ex-wife and and he's just he's so bad at all of the things except for flying and fortunately they end mm-hmm. up having to fly but um I I was struck by that and and also how good Bobby is at everything but Bobby is also so burned cuz she was a Martian patriot, really. And then she, because she worked with Avasarala, the the Mars uh, military kind of turned their back on her. But she's also really sad that Mars is kind of breaking apart. It's a, it's a kind of a tragic character in that way. But in the end, she will put on her armor and load her weapon and do what she needs to do anyway, because she's Bobby. I had a couple of real world uh, sort of intersections with this storyline um, on, the, on the front end, you know, seeing the decay of Mars when you're in the middle of a pandemic and you're seeing businesses shutter and things like that, you know, you walk into a shopping mall, if you if you dare walk into a shopping mall and see half of the stores closed and things like that. So uh, I, I, I definitely picked up on some resonances of uh, the, the Mars in decline piece. And on the other end of it, um, Alex Kamal is really bad at a lot of emotional intelligence and 
subterfuge and everything else. Yeah, it's faster to name the things that he's good at, Jim. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Put all his skill points into piloting. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and this is happening at the same time that we're, uh, that, you know, Cass Anvar. And, and mm. it was hard to see Alex's deficiencies at the same time that, that I couldn't shut off the part of my brain that was aware of the the backstory of what we discovered about Cass Anvar's alleged behavior and issues and the reason that he is not on the show anymore. Right. So that stuff was, that was stuff was always percolating as I was watching this part of the story. But, uh, my North star to borrow the, the Amos phrase, uh, for this part of it was Bobby first, yeah. last, and always. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, Cass Anvar who plays, uh, Alex was accused of what, what sexual harassment, I think might be yeah. a, a way to, mm-hmm. a, the way to put it. And the, it's by several people and it is an ongoing thing that happened after this season wrapped and we might as well talk about it now. Uh, it's, it is, I'd say as artfully done as I've ever seen something like it, but yeah. also very clear that after they wrapped the season, they went back and shot two scenes on the standing Rosinante sets, which was Holden and Naomi in the med bay and Holden, Naomi and Amos and the, and ultimately Peaches in the, at the airlock, um, where the dialogue is very specifically mentioning Alex dying. Everything else is uh, stuff that could be fairly easily looped or CGI'd. And in fact, or difficultly CGI'd in the case of the the uh, party, yeah. uh, the 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 bar yeah. at Luna, where there is on set uh, photograph evidence of Kazanvar sitting in a seat that is now empty in the final show. I think they did a really good job given what they had to decide. And, and when the, you hear the producers talk about it, it's very clear that they are under legal instruction not to discuss his departure because they say lots of things that are vague about, well, early in the season, we discussed what if we killed one of our main characters, they never say that they actually decided to do it because they didn't, they did it retroactively after the season wrapped when they realized that they were going to fire Kaz Anvar or reach a settlement with him, which precludes them from discussing it. But, um, I watched that, all that stuff like three times and you can see that Avasarala's dialogue is looped and she mentions, uh, losing Alex and the, and Bobby doesn't respond in a way that makes yeah. any emotional sense. And the characters yeah. <laughs> in those scenes don't seem to be mourning Alex at all because they're not, he's sitting right there and he's just been rem- rotoscoped out, but you know, well, Holden it's tough. Looks at him at, at one point, Holden you looks right Holden's looking at, him. at Alex and it's an empty chair. It's so strange but like i i get it kind of read it as like looking at the empty chair oh we miss him it's yes weird be here (laughs) yeah yeah but it but but the mood is like we're just having drinks thinking of alex but we're not really thinking of alex we're just staring at a chair uh i don't know i think i first off that's not cheap to do what they did and they they clearly did reshoot a couple of things after they had wrapped because there are a couple scenes that could not have been just looped um but i I don't know. I mean, I'm impressed with how they did it. They felt they needed Alex doesn't die in the books, by the way, at this point, this is not what happens. Um, uh, just if you're curious and, uh, they felt they needed to do it. And I thought they did it as artfully as could be done given, uh, given the alternative, but it is abrupt, right? It, it, it does not. The reason I, I mention all of this is that it does not feel like something that was set up for the season. It's the best yeah. they could do in a bad situation. And, you know, I, I, 
apologies to everyone involved because I do I've praised the work they did to make it as good as it is. But it is kind of a poochie, right? It is basically Alex died on the way back to his home planet, by the way, and he won't be in it anymore. <laughs> My wife was like, what? When that scene happened? And I, I knew, you know, I knew about the background of what was going on. And they had and announced so, he wasn't going to be in season six. Yeah, and they six. announced he wasn't going to be back. And I was like, well, they're going to have to write him off somehow. And I saw that and I like kind of, you know, looked at her. I was like, I think the implication is he had a stroke. And then they write in that with the scene with Holden and Naomi later. Like, yeah. A, you know, couldn't, couldn't help it or whatever. And there is a little bit of, you know, foreshadowing of that when they talk about the maneuvers they're going to have to make. And of course, that's a thing that we've known since very early on in the in the world of this show is a is a risk it's how fred johnson dies in the books he dies differently in this uh, as part of the heist to steal the proto molecule that happens with holden on the station which we haven't talked about but um but that but they apply that method of death you know high g you have a chance of stroking out and that's what they do to alex I've been thinking, I, I too knew, like I, I knew they were going to have to write him off somehow. I figured he would probably die. Um, when I watched that scene, I was like, oh, okay, you know. But since I watched that episode, I've been thinking about the books because, like Jason said, Alex doesn't die. And um, I'm like, okay, so what does he bring to the books, really? And it's what we've talked about. He's just a good pilot. Like, He's yeah. really, that's, yep. that is his note. And so at first I was like, well, how are they going to compensate for that? And then I realized that there's not really a lot to compensate for. They just need to find a good pilot. Uh, he's yeah. the character they can afford to lose the most. Yeah. <laughs> they have Bull flying the Rosinante yes. and the Holden thing, which Convenient. we're going to get to. And, and, and it says, yeah, there's that shot that's got uh, Alex Kamal on his cup. And I'm like, did they change what was on the cup? Did they add the cup? Like that feels also like a bit of foreshadowing that wasn't originally intended that was then added later to make it make it well, say which like, is fascinating too because Bull is a character who was appears already in dead. earlier already in the, dead yeah <laughs> yeah and <laughs> yeah I mean uh, yeah that's a weird it's a fascinating choice lots of perambulations happening there moving characters around on the map I would say the thing that Alex does contribute besides being a pilot is I do think as part of that family he is kind of almost like a mediator the kind you know he's he's going to make lasagna and make everyone right. kind of hey let's all calm it up mm. calm it on down everybody you know one yeah. of those things it's got a sense of humor bull's not making anyone any lasagna no no he manages <laughs> to have an emotional intelligence with that like found family that he's created on the rossi that it doesn't seem to translate to anyone on mars mm. and i'm curious to see what the dynamic of the crew is going to be without him there Right. Yeah, that is that is with interesting because he does play a he does yeah. play a part. Peaches is not going to fulfill that role. <laughs> no, yeah, it, it is a very different balance to the crew. I think, especially if you decide. I mean, if they decide they're going to keep Bull around next season, I think that's a very different. <laughs> it's a very different <laughs> type of crew that we're going to see. Right. Yeah, and Peaches like you'll notice that they sent Naomi out of the room before they brought Peaches into the ship because Peaches did nearly crush her to death with a mech suit the last time that they interacted i don't see them like being instant friends or anything off yeah. yeah yeah although i did have a thought that perhaps they actually used that stuff from the previous shot and and didn't bring that actress back and so naomi had to leave because uh, she wasn't originally in that yeah. scene but again you <laughs> could just once you once you know they did this stuff you can start to put up your yarn on your conspiracy board about how that mm-hmm. last last five minutes of the season uh, was was made let's talk about holden and the rosie 
our home normally for the show, but instead it's just one of the one of the little bits. And they 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 stick some other characters there for Holden to bounce off of. He gets he gets Fred for a little while, but Fred dies. Uh, Monica is there. They save Monica from in what I thought was a very exciting thing. You know, she gets basically put in a in a in a container. And and she's gonna uh, asphyxiate in the container in the in the cargo bay, and they save her, and and she stick she sort of like tags along. So Holden's got somebody to talk to, and Bull's there flying, and they got other various supernumeraries just sort of wandering around the Rosie. Um, like it doesn't need that many people to fly the ship, guys. Why do you have so many people on the ship? Um, and and they're sort of hunting for the proto molecule, and. I don't know. It's nice to see the Rosi, but at the same time, I thought that this was actually one of the weirder segments of the season because yeah. it's kind of like, I mean, they are, I mean, Rosinante, they are kind of like uh, tilting at windmills a little bit. Like, we're going to find that protomolecule and, you know, sort of nothing comes of it. They just kind of have to float around. But um, I don't know. How, how do people feel about the the stuff with Holden this season? It was a diversion. I mean, it, it, it was, it. I always like seeing the Rosi yeah. and having the different crew configuration was interesting but it aside from the opening few episodes uh where he and fred are dealing with the protomolecule and the rebellion on tycho station um this just isn't holden's story this season holden had season four he's fine um um he's we get some spaceship stuff we get some pow 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 and um and and uh whatever those interceptor guns are and that's fine um but the the center of this story is another character and i think that it's just kind of neat that holden is just sort of a side story and not much more this time and he doesn't have to be i mean he's theoretically your main character <laughs> And he's he's just not that important this season, and it's fine. I mean, that's the that's the richness of the ensemble. He's the captain and doesn't really have his crew, so he's kind of adrift in his own way, right? Like, yeah. yeah so it's almost like he, the Rosinante scenes for a good part of this season are there to just sort of help move the other bits of the story along, and 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 that that that's fine, you know. Again. Stephen Strait's good, and I like Holden's character a lot, and this just wasn't his season. Yeah, and I think it's a lot of it is to add some dramatic tension to um, Naomi's storyline. And, you know, is, is the Rosie going to get to her? Is it going to blow up? Um, you know, I, I think that's why a lot of it exists. Like, why they had to get him on the ship is so that we could wonder if he was going to blow up or not. And in fact, the thing that I'm happiest about in this season is sort of related to the fact that Holden isn't the white knight coming into the rescue for Naomi, um, that that's just not his role in the story. Also, it's it's Alex and he's going to get himself and everyone else blown up if he rides into the rescue, which is kind of funny, too. <laughs> the the way that it's set up with Naomi. Yeah. Which we should talk about. So I think, you know, obviously the beating heart of this season is Naomi and Philip. And Marco Inaros, and I'll throw Drummer in here too, um, with Drummer's kind of crisis because they have the exchange of hostages essentially with Marco, so that they've got a, a Marco spy on their ship, and and their guy gets sent to Marco's ship where he is inevitably killed by Marco Inaros. Feels a little Game of Thronesy there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it is right. It's exchange of hostages. No, no. It's a we're we're uh, just a we're training all one crew. Happy family. 
Um, and this is so, you know, this is Naomi spending time with her son, who she basically hasn't seen since she fled. Uh, a lot of family dynamics here. There's, a, you know, she's obviously been demonized. She's got her friends, the Belters, who turns out uh, end up kind of kidnapping her and then revealing that they were, you know, they were involved in all of this all along. They had been hire- hiding Philip from her when she was looking for him. So she feels betrayed. Although that guy... Again, he he also dies in an airlock, um, not intentionally, but he he does it. There's just Marco, you know, is a fascinating character because he's a visionary and he's got some, uh, you know, he succeeds. He succeeds in this season of really striking a blow at Earth. Um, uh, And yeah, he's also an awful person. And you see that Naomi's Naomi's answer to her son about why she left is basically like, well, I couldn't stay in essentially this abusive relationship with your with your father and he took you. And so it was, you know, so I had to go. That was, that was the end of it. Um, and you know, so it's, it's very personal, very emotional. And then also solar system politics laid right on top of it. And then drummer is having her own crisis with her tight crew that signs on with the free Navy, even though they don't really want to, because they don't really have a choice. And that phrase, that whole family, it's like an alternate family that, like from a different show that is also going through this. And it's just, I don't know, this is, to me, this is the rich uh, heart of of this, of, of what I think is maybe the best season of The Expanse. And it's because Naomi and her family is at the center. I, I struggle sometimes with, I mean, I, I like Naomi and I enjoy the dynamics. I, I, and I, I guess I, I guess I hate Marco the the right amount. Maybe. Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't, I don't <laughs> like him. Right. No. Like, and you're not supposed to. So that's fine. I get, I get why people follow him. Right. Yes. Like it, the mm-hmm. show is very good at portraying. He's super charismatic. He talks a good game. He tells people what they want to hear to make them do what he needs them to do. And he is awful and I hate him. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's frustrating because you want Naomi to figure out how to get one over on him or figure out how to, you know, basically convince Philip that his his dad is a jerk <laughs> and and it's not happening, right? And like that's that's frustrating in this in this season as a viewer, I mean, and, and intentionally so. I'm not suggesting not. Um and you keep struggling waiting for Naomi to realize like this is this is a lost cause, but you can also understand why as a mother, she's not going to give up that easily. And it really takes everything, right? It takes, she has to reach the breaking point before she can do something uh, that is drastic, as drastic as leaving. Um, and, and then it's like her only opportunity to do so. And it's extremely dangerous. So I, I think it is a really good season and a really good, uh, like sort of, uh, you know, as you said, the heart to that. Um, but it is is definitely it's harder to watch, I think, than a lot of the other aspects of the show because it is you know it is leaning hard into some what feels like very very dramatic you know uh, tragic territory with these characters, um, and especially because I think the the characters who you are potentially the most sympathetic to there end up being sort of um, you know uh, collateral damage like sin for example right uh, and that's that's tough to watch. But it is also it is compelling, and nonetheless, I wanted to say also the casting of Philip is 
brilliant. He looks so mm. much like Naomi. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. He looks, and he looks like Marco. Marco. Yeah, and he, he does look like Marco really too. Like but I, I had those moments where I'm like, oh my god, he looks exactly like Naomi. But he also does look like Marco. It's a great bit of casting. And I think the actor um, handles himself pretty well. He's a kid. He's trying to make a name for himself. He he gets those moments where his father um, compliments him, and then you can see how bad a father Marco is because oh, yeah. he, he he compliments his kid, and he's like. Marco, look, look what you did. You made Philip feel good. And he immediately undercuts him because you're not me. How dare you even think it? And it's like, oh my God. And you, and it's fascinating. I think Philip has a great arc this season because although nothing, you know, he's still with his dad and all that. And, and, and Naomi is not there, but I feel like by the end of the season, Philip knows exactly who his father is. And he has, he, the scales have been lifted from his eyes in terms of the story of his mother and who his mother is and who his father really is. Like, you know, he, he hasn't stormed out and be like, well, I don't want to be here anymore, dad. There's nothing like that. But, uh, but I think by the end of the season, Philip knows the score about exactly who his father really is. Yeah. You can, you can see kind of the through line of him, of all the scenes with him sitting in his room, where he's you know he's building things he's talking to his dad and then there's one where he's watching season three on his phone and (laughs) seeing all the things that naomi really did and how it's different from from what marco told him and then the very last one is him sitting there loading a gun and i think that's like the final thing that you see him doing and that's like that's what you're saying like i i know what the situation is that i'm in right now and I think him loading that gun is him saying like, I'm not necessarily safe here. Right. And I'm, Marco will discard me like he does everyone else. If I'm not useful anymore, or if I try to upstage him or anything. So yeah, he knows the score now and he's prepared for it going into whatever happens next season. I think the brilliance of, of Philip and, and this whole storyline too, with all of these characters and with, drummer's plot line is you see how the personal is so wrapped up for with all of the politics and what they're fighting for because i think you can see the manipulation but also i wonder with for philip it's like he might realize his dad is not who he thought he was his dad is also created this war that on some level i wonder how much philip still believes in I just wanted to make a comment about Drummer, which I enjoyed her storyline quite a bit. I like watching her conflict as she tries to resolve, like, the, I've got this new family that I, you know, I, it depends on me, and I need to protect. But I also hate Marco, because he, <laughs> he killed my, my best friend, basically, uh, and, you know, is also basically, uh, you know, abusing and, and capturing my, my other best friend. Um, and... I, I like, I mean, first of all, uh, Kara G is, is fantastic. She is a, I mean, I, I would put her down as an MVP of a lot of these seasons. I think she is a, a I mean, a character, an actor so good that this character, who is basically not a character from the books at all, yeah. has become a central character in the show. So full testament to her for her performance in that character. Can they get her to fly the Rosinante? I'd take that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I, I think it's interesting um, to see her, you know, put in this position of having to essentially be a mediator, which she is not good at doing. That's not no. her job. Um, and, uh-huh. and, you know, rooting for her to decide. Like, it's tough because I think as... As much as they try to build up the family that she has there, 
we as viewers, yeah, you know, we've never seen these people before. We've never seen these people, so we're going to struggle a bit from like being like, yeah, pick them over, you know, Naomi and the main characters, right? Like, no, we're going to be like, oh, no, you got to save Naomi. You know what's going on. You're the only person who can figure this out. Um, but I, I still really enjoyed her performance and, and wrestling with all of those issues of morality. By the way, she was uh, pregnant and they shot all of her scenes at the very beginning of the recording of the season so that they could get all of her stuff done before she started to show, apparently. So it was all wow. completely out of sequence with everything else that they shot, is my understanding. So, But wow. she's, they, how could they not have her in the season? So they just they just made, did the extra work to get her in there. And Drummer is just pure id. I, I, I love it so much. I mean, in the end, we were debating whether she was, she took out Carol and started shooting on the other ships because of Naomi or just because she hates Marco so much. Yeah. Uh, probably a little of column A and column B. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, compare, to, compare Drummer to Amos, you know. Amos is just like cold and sociopathic and Drummer is just hot yeah. and does not want to be, does not want to be controlled, does not want to be manipulated. Um, and in the end, it just, she, she breaks and she breaks her family uh, with it. And you're right. You're, we're re- rooting for her because, because Naomi, but um, you know, she just feels really broken at this point. And I'm interested to see where she goes in season six. She's trying to navigate an impossible situation, right? Like they can't say no to Marco, but she also can't say yes to Marco. And yeah. it gets to a point where, like I, I do love that moment where where her um her second in command basically is like you got to give me the gun because I know what you're gonna do you're gonna shoot mm-hmm. the the lady that was sent over here from Marco because she's super annoying and so give me your gun and 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 drummer's like yeah okay and I'm I'm sitting there thinking she could find another gun <laughs> yeah <laughs> and she does it's it's her Carol's own gun that yeah. she takes too which is very yeah a great symbol yeah so great character um. And glad we saw her. And it's so, I mean, yeah, she goes through hell because she has to make these difficult decisions. And in the end, I think she, you know, she does, she's just trying trying to thread the needle as best she can. And she's willing to sacrifice herself if she has to. But instead, basically her crew splits apart and she's a belter who's against Marco, which is a very bad place to be politically. But, you know, Marco's a monster. So what are you going to do? It's a, it's a really interesting place for drummer through the whole season. I love that character so much. Um, speaking of Naomi, by the way, um, we're talking about like, how does Naomi <laughs> exit her relationship with, with Marco and Philip this time? She literally goes out in airlock. Walks out the door. Like, yeah. and it's such a great moment too, because <laughs> they're like, oh, she's killing herself. Cause she told that story about how she walked in an airlock one time and her friend comes in and is like, no, I'm not going to let you do it. And she's like, oh, you big dummy. I'm escaping. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> The the best oh. part of that was watching all the people tweeting at James S A Corey on tw- about oh, yeah. like she would all explode. the science problems <laughs> and, and, like, uh, and they're like I I spent a lot of time researching this for like many years <laughs> yeah it actually is you don't want air in your lungs but she actually is directed in that scene she exhales the air and your blood is under pressure and so it stays in your body you don't explode. And you've got a short amount of time, but then she injects her like oxygen compound or whatever, which gives her a little more time. The thing that saved Monica 
earlier in an earlier episode. Right, yeah. And and, and then for the next three episodes, she is super messed up and trying to survive. So it did damage to her, and we see that it has done some damage, but she's trying to figure out her, which I I actually really enjoyed her whole thing on the ghost ship where she's basically trying to figure out how do I, you know, how do I communicate? It was very, like castaway or something yeah. i don't know like where she's mm. you know alone and she's got the no air and nothing works and she has right. to keep going and, into the hull and like scratching her little tick mark it felt like the martian yeah the martian good call the yeah. no air is the setup for what happens at the very end where she launches herself out of the ship with no air um but it's also so great in the context of just she can only go out into the airless parts of the ship for so long and then has to come back in and, and and I don't know I thought that was all really great <laughs> and what I love about that part particularly is you can see her like looking at the specs of the ship and figuring out how many times she can do this and then because there's no one there to talk to she doesn't tell you how many times she can do this even though she's figured it out we don't know and so it's all we're always kind of on the edge of of wondering how many more times can she do this safely because she's charting them all on the wall, but we don't know what she's counting up to. Right. We don't know what she's doing either. Right. Like she spends a while, first of all, trying to like hack the recording that they've played. And then she's realizes when that's not working, she's like, I'm going to put the ship in a loop and only a stupid person would try to dock with a (laughs) ship going in a corkscrew. Summon the stupid person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What amazes me about all of this, and it's the writing, but it's also Dominique Tipper's acting, is that, yeah, if we don't know what she's doing, all we need to know is how she's reacting to it. We don't need Mm -hmm. the technobabble. All we need to know is that she's either crushed or hopeful or determined, and she's just going to do the thing. And then every once in a while, we get the revelations like the 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 spiral spin oh she was uh, she was up to that but we don't always need that payoff uh, we see Naomi um, and of course Dominique Tipper you know suffering a whole hell of a lot during this season um, the just just one defeat after another and when she's cast away on the Chetsamoka. It's really hard to witness, especially when she's recovering from uh, the initial exposure. And I had I had a bit of a bad feeling about it. Um, I just I've been burned by what's happened to black female characters in other shows recently. And, you know, what am I watching and what am I going to get out of this? And basically, will the character be redeemed in the end? Um, And. When she goes out in that uh, spacesuit and when she's doing the um, hand symbols to engineer her own rescue. And then when Mm -hmm. Bobby flies to the rescue Mm -hmm. and we never see it because the writing and direction (laughs) is centered on the character Mm -hmm. and the actors. It is just the perfect payoff, I think, to the whole season. Love that moment. We're just on Naomi Mm -hmm. and then she gets bumped and it's Bobby and we barely hear her because she's making just slight contact with her and then finally, you know, kind of puts her helmet against and she can hear a little more clearly. And we're all just, we're just on Naomi the whole time. 
It's yeah. I also like the the just the reminder that she is an amazing engineer too, right? Which is of course what we know about her from, right. from the beginning of the show. It's the like, last person you want on that ship, right? Exactly, right? <laughs> well, like that's the moment where it's like it, it is that tough uh, like Chip was saying, like the suffering about like the I've escaped, I made to the ship. Oh no, this ship is a bomb and there's no air on <laughs> and there's it. There's no water and there's yeah. I'm, gonna get the frost and drink the frost off my wrist calm oh but now i'm out of air i don't know i it's it's really well done i think will your comparison the martian that i I did come up while i was watching the show but it reminded me of that that's it does feel very much like that where you're like you know oh but if there's anybody who can get out of this somehow it's Naomi. so that we should say then the uh the last stuff we get in this season um you know the implication here so marco's gonna take over the um, Medina Station, which is the the uh, the old Mormon <laughs> interstellar ship that's now in the in the ring space, and the Martians have taken the the uh, proto molecule, and uh, they've sent that on to the Laconia star system, and our last scene is good old Sovater and his uh, his pal who Alex had a drink with. Um, and they are headed off to Laconia themselves. They they uh, radio ahead and talk to evil uh, Doctor Cortazar, who is already mm-hmm. experimenting with the proto molecule, and says, "This is uh, it's going to be great. We think uh, you know we think we're going to get these things to work." And it's revealed that there are things that look like big spaceships or space stations in orbit around uh, Laconia that are doing some blue glowing if you watch to the end of the credits. Um, so that's not great. There's protomolecule Martian people happening uh, outside uh, in a different uh, star system. And then the last thing we see is Sovater and his friend uh, go through the ring gate and it's red and everything stops and they get clawed into nothingness. And that's how it ends. We've that was such a cool scene. That's a hell of a shoe to drop right at, right in the last moment of the season. I, I really thought that was really well done. And it's described by Holden to Fred earlier in the season, this feeling of the, of, of what, mm. ha- what we then see happen, that there's something out there that is presumably the thing that killed all the people who created the ring gates. <laughs> uh, but we, but we don't know anything other than that. Those, those guys, uh, didn't make it through the ring gate. They 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 got clawed by something. Poor Tim Decay. Mm-hmm. That was the thing from the book that I think I was most looking forward to seeing visualized on the show was that last moment, and I was not disappointed. For those who don't who didn't read the books, did that ending make any sense to you? Because that I think that's that I wondered if it really came across as much other than oh something weird happened. Yeah, it was mostly something weird happened, but. In an okay way. Like, <laughs> I like being... Remi- it. This season was so focused on not all of the weird alien... Protomolecule stuff, builders, right. All that stuff that was so present in earlier seasons, especially the fourth season, and then to be like, oh, right, this. I have no <laughs> idea what's going on, but I'm excited to see what this is. I was kind of lost myself and but the the wikia pages about the episode um were very helpful and they said and and they suggested to me oh maybe i should go back to episode 1 and watch that scene with holden and fred and sure enough it's the same 
it, it it's the same representation. Um, so exactly what Jen said that um, because the rest of the season focused so much on more down to earth, literally uh, storytelling, um, I had completely forgotten about that stuff and um, I, and had to be reminded of it. Yeah, in the book, it's a much more, I think this is what Will was getting at too. It's like in the book, yeah. it's like, well, how are you going to show this? Because it's like all the, the characters are aware, like time stops but, and they're all frozen, but they're still aware and they can see every atom uh, around them. And then there's a sense of a presence somewhere else. And it's very, it's very horrifying horror like it's terrifying it's that they are they yeah. are trapped by some power that we can't understand that is bad <laughs> yeah and it's it's told from sovater's point of view in the epilogue to the book which is it's yeah it it he did not have a good time but i like <laughs> you know talking about what season four was about which is we're on an alien planet and stuff like that uh it is that nice reminder like there are other issues here we have all of our internal politics but there's also the protomolecule and everything that we saw in the the station inside the ring uh space and on uh illus and now we've got Cortazar, who is again. I just want to say, very bad working with these That's rogue just... Martians, and they're they've apparently got like stuff in orbit around this planet that they've found that's left over from whatever was there before and they're experimenting with the proto molecule it can't be good it's a nice reminder i, I think I, jen you you put it well it's like remember there's all this weird alien stuff going on too that's <laughs> out there so it's a it's a good uh a good reminder that there's more weird stuff to come plus marco Inaros, who is a jerk uh <laughs> <laughs> Let me go around and ask everybody for some final thoughts about how you feel like this season went and uh, and uh, where it, uh, you know, did you like it? Is it is it the best ever? Is it is it a solid season? And maybe a little bit about your expectations for there's one more season they're going to do with season six, and then they say that's the last season in this in this run. There are nine books. the The last three books in the series, only two of which have been published so far, are. Uh, again, without spoiling it too much, they're set a little bit later. So I kind of wonder if maybe that's a story for another time, essentially. And the producers seem to be indicating that too, that, that you know, they, they'll have an ending in season six, but the other, the last trilogy essentially could be told at a later time. And, and that's probably fine. But as we go into the last season, how, how do you think this season did? Uh, Will, why don't we start with you? I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's definitely up there. Um, I think it, did a much better job of telling the story of this book than I was expecting that it would. Um, and I think, you know, the one thing about drummer's story in particular is that as a person who is in real life, bisexual and polyamorous, I'm sitting here watching the first couple episodes with her and her new family. And that was, probably the happiest I've been watching a thing on TV in a long time, because that's a kind of representation that I haven't really seen very much. And after realizing that the character in the book who is in that position was not in the show in season three, when she would have been, I was sort of expecting that that wasn't going to happen, but it did. So I was very pleasantly surprised, despite the fact that they didn't end in a good place. That made me really happy. And I think that season earned a lot of points with me just for that alone. Um, but also I really love the Amos and Peaches stuff. And I really liked, uh, seeing Naomi do the thing that she's 
good at for so many episodes in a row. Um, so yeah, I really liked it. Jen, what about you? Oh yeah. I think this definitely stacks up as one of the best seasons. Uh, I agree. Well, I really loved drum that whole family, that whole Polly Ann Belter family. And I hope that some of those characters, I'm assuming drummer's coming back, but some of the other family members come back. Although I wouldn't be surprised if we never see Oksana again as well. But yeah, the show has always done a great job of being inclusive, but some of the stuff took a little bit longer to get to and was much more in the background. And to see it come to the foreground with some of these characters was just incredible. I have no, I have no idea what the plot of next season Hmm. could be weird alien stuff. Marker doing bad stuff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's the expanse. Holden will probably find a way to get in the middle of everything. That doesn't sound like him. <laughs> Dan, how about you? I actually would have ranked season four as a bigger win for me because I remember not really caring for book four. And I actually was very compelled by the season last year, even if some people didn't like I, I found it more compelling in TV form than book form, I guess I should say. Um it's interesting always watching these because between the changes they make between the books and the show and the fact that I read all these books long enough ago now that I don't remember a lot of what happened. Yeah. It's always fun because I'm like, Oh, I kind of half remember some stuff, but I'm still experiencing this. Like it is a new thing just with characters and situations that I like. Um, so I think what helped a little bit in the fact that I think we, um, we didn't start watching this season until uh, maybe four or five episodes had aired. So we could kind of like binge through, uh, do like a mini binge through the first half of the season, um, which was nice to get back up to speed. And also because there are enough cliffhangers that once you start, you're like, Oh God, I don't want to stop now. Um, so I think they did a nice job of of adapting what I do think is, as Jason said at the beginning, a difficult story to adapt to television um, and I'm very pleased with, with the outcome. I, I enjoy spending time with all these characters. In some ways I felt like the season was maybe a little too short because it felt like maybe a, one or two more episodes might've given some of these storylines room to breathe. Um, but I think they did a very good job with everything that they had there. And uh, I'm, I'm curious to see what they'll do with next season. And I'm curious to see how they'll bring these sort of arcs to an end. They've not with, again, without giving away too much in the way of spoilers, there are some hints in this season about stuff that comes in those later books and it seems like they're setting something up and i you know knowing going in knowing that like next season is supposed to be sort of the last of this makes me wonder like well why would you spend time setting up that stuff yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. um very specifically a name that was dropped there yep uh and and so i was like all right well i guess i I agree I, i feel like the show is popular enough that that they would not just be like let's just cut it all off and be done with it um, so I'm curious to see where that goes, but I, I think, uh, I, I really enjoyed the, I continue to enjoy this show a lot. I, I don't know where I would rank this season. I feel like I've enjoyed all the seasons, although going back and watching season one around the time we were starting this season was a very big, like, oh my God, this show was in some ways totally different back in season one. Um, so it has evolved into something, um, that much like the books, I think is evolved into something that has a different shape and feeling to it, but I, I enjoyed it throughout and I'm really looking forward to the next season. Chip. I enjoyed it throughout as well. I struggle between whether I prefer season three or this season. Um, sometimes column A, sometimes column B. Um, 
this season actually in a weird way may have been the final nail in the coffin toward me reading the books until at least after season six is over because I'm enjoying the world of the TV show so much uh, that I want to see where they're going with it before I start filling in the backstory. So um, uh, a a friend of mine emailed me uh, and said, you know, pretty soon you're going to, pretty soon you're going to start start hearing the word Laconia and it's going to mean something. And I am successfully fighting the urge to find out exactly what it is by doing the research. I want to, I just want to keep up with the series because the series is so damn good. Then I'll, then I'll figure out uh, where it came from with the, with the original books. I think that's fine. I think that's a reasonable thing to do. Aline? Favorite book, favorite season. Um, (laughs) It is uncomfortable um, for me in a lot of ways, just because we're really getting into Marco's abusiveness um, we're really getting getting into like firsthand reliving of Naomi's trauma, and that's all really hard for me to watch. Um, but I feel like this season is a goodbye. Um, it's a goodbye to the status quo, right? Like Earth is in upheaval. Characters said goodbye to their their past lives. Um, in large part because of Earth, but all of them, you know, Naomi, Naomi has met Philip. She's done what she can do. And so I'm looking forward to seeing how they simultaneously deal with um, the new beginning that is necessitated by that, the, the global goodbye um, while also wrapping things up. Um, I think it's going to be interesting. And I'm actually sitting here wondering, I mean, I've read book six probably at least three times (laughs) and I don't remember what happens. (laughs) Um, So I'm like, what is going to happen? I don't know. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, that's great. Well, we'll find out next, uh, I guess the end of this year, probably. They, They seem to be on an annual pace for this. And as for where they go, uh, from there, I think, I think what the so the show is not owned by Amazon. It's got a, a production company behind it, and it sounds to me like they're they they would like to one day adapt the last three books in the series, but um, it, the run is going to come to an end on Amazon. And I, I think it's kind of fascinating because they may just leave those last three books sitting there for another time, which is interesting if that's what they end up doing. But we'll see. That's for next time, next year, when we all gather back together. Um, but for now, I think we should wrap it up. I oh, I, I should say I liked it too. I thought it was really great. Um, Lauren and I both watched it and and liked it a lot. And I think maybe it was my favorite season too because um, of all the Amos, Amos and Naomi stuff, especially. Um, let me thank my panelists for being here and talking The Expanse with me. I really appreciate it. Aline Sims, thank you. Thank you. Chip Sutterth, thank you. Float to the top or sink to the bottom. Everything in the middle is the churn. <laughs> Dan Warren, thank you. Never did figure out that whole shuttle thing, I guess. Well. <laughs> uh, Jen Bird, thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. This is great. And Will Wagner, thank you. Don't go too fast out there. <laughs> and thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We'll see you again next time.